Okay, so I'm sorry. You're standing right there too. I'm sorry. We're not going to go that. We're not going to go quite that fast. I'm just trying to see if I can read the changes. Can you? Barely. <laughs> Patty, you'll be pictures after the service, as Tom mentioned earlier. Uh, we also have my friend Rocky here. Uh, so if you saw a guy with a video camera going around, uh, we're trying to make, he's helping me make a short little video that will uh, be on our homepage, on the new website, to help introduce people to our church. Uh, but if you're here and, and you're opposed to kind of being on video or on film in any way, uh, just let us know. We'll make sure that you know we don't include your your uh, your image in there, or we'll blur you out significantly. You know, it'll yeah. <laughs> like who's that? All right. So we're back to John and this question before us uh, this morning: Who killed? Jesus. Some would tell you the Jews killed him. Judas betrayed him, of course, in the garden. The religious leaders plotted his death, and the high priest uh, delivered him over to Pilate. Some would say the Jews killed Jesus. Others would say, no, the Romans, they killed Jesus. Pilate was the one who sentenced and condemned him. Uh, It was uh, the Roman soldiers who were responsible for flogging him and nailing him to the cross. Does it really matter who killed Jesus, though? Our text today takes up this very question, uh, and we're going to turn there now and discover why it matters who killed Jesus. So join me in turning to John chapter 19. We're going to be verses 1 through 16. If you need to use one of our pew Bibles, you'll find today's text on page 1075. And once you're there, I invite you to uh, join me by standing and following along as I read out of reverence and respect for God's word. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law he ought to die, because he has made himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, you will not speak to me? Do you know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement 
and an Aramaic Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Pentecost. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, Behold your king. They cried out, Away with him! Away with him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus. Let's pray. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we thank you for your word that is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, dividing between soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. We have opened your word this morning. May your word open us now. Convict us and make us more like Jesus. In Christ's name we pray, amen. You can be seated. You know what's interesting is that uh, each of the four Gospels in the New Testament spend a significant amount of time describing the events that lead up to Jesus' death and the actual death itself and the events that follow his death, notably his resurrection from the dead. And, And take John's Gospel, for example, after chapter 11, the whole rest of his Gospel, 10 chapters, are focused on the week leading up to Jesus' death. In his account of the resurrection, nearly half of John's gospel is focused on Jesus' death. Each gospel includes Jesus' miracles, his ethical teachings, his interactions with others, but each gospel undoubtedly emphasizes his death and his resurrection. In fact, the Apostle Paul told the Corinthian church that he had decided to know nothing among them except Christ and him crucified. But who's ultimately responsible for the death of Jesus and why does it matter? I want to point out to you three people or groups of people highlighted in our text this morning uh, that ends with Jesus being condemned uh, to crucifixion. Uh, The three points, the three groups or or people are these. Uh, One is the corrupt leaders, the corrupt religious leaders. Secondly, uh, the trapped ruler. We're talking about Pilate there. And then thirdly, we're going to look at our sovereign king. So those are our three points that will guide us this morning. Let's talk about these corrupt leaders. John's gospel begins with these words in chapter 1, verse 11. He came to his own. And his own people did not receive him. We have seen the rejection of Jesus, especially by the religious leaders, all throughout John's gospel. But here in our text, this rejection reaches its pinnacle. Twice in our text, John records the cries of the Jews to crucify Jesus. They want Jesus dead so badly But not only do they want him dead, they want him to be disgraced. They want him to be humiliated. Have you ever wondered why the Jews brought Jesus to Pilate, the Roman governor, in chapter 18? We looked at this text last week. But why did they bring him to Pilate in the first place? There, in chapter 18, Pilate urged them to judge Jesus by their own law. But they reply to him that it's not lawful for them to put anyone to death. This was true, but that didn't stop them in the past. And think about the events in the book of Acts that would follow Jesus' death and resurrection. It didn't stop them from stoning Stephen to death. So why now? Why are they so concerned now 
with the fact that they're not uh, allowed to put anyone to death. Uh, at best, they might have gotten a slap on the wrist if they had stoned Jesus. But why is it so important that he be crucified in the minds of these religious leaders? What's going on here? Understand this, that, that the Jewish method for capital punishment was stoning. But the Roman method was crucifixion. And remember that it was Paul who reminded the Galatian church that Jewish law states that this in Deuteronomy 21, anyone who is hanged on a tree is a cursed man. So why is it that the Jews are, are pushing so strongly for a Roman crucifixion when they could have just stoned Jesus to death themselves? It's because the religious leaders didn't just want Jesus dead. They wanted the people to see him as a cursed man and to completely discredit his entire ministry and all his teaching. They wanted Jesus dead so badly that last week we saw them twisting the truth about Jesus to Pilate, didn't we? Painting Jesus as this political threat to Rome when really he wasn't. They knew this wasn't true. This is the only way for them to get Rome's attention. If they could paint Jesus as a political threat, then maybe they'll crucify him. And in verse 7 of our, of our text today, after Pilate says that he finds no guilt in Jesus, the, the Jews cite their own law that's, that says anyone who blasphemes the Lord should be put to death. Don't miss the irony here. First, it's the Jews who are actually guilty of blasphemy for rejecting Jesus, who is God himself. And secondly, they're trying to use the same law that points to Jesus as a long-awaited Messiah. They're, they're using the same law that points to Jesus to condemn him. Do you see how when a person is so given over to sin that it just it blinds their hearts and their minds to seeing things rightly when it's right in front of their faces? And then when Pilate sought even more to release Jesus, the Jews started playing Pilate like a fiddle. Knowing that he would do anything to hold on to his power, in verse 12, they accused Pilate of not being loyal to Caesar. And this is a threat that he had to pay attention to because if the Jews go to Caesar and say, hey, this guy Pilate, you know, he's waffling over here. You might want to pay attention to this. He just led a, uh, a contender uh, to, the, to, to Roman rule go free. Because Tiberius Caesar had a reputation. He had a reputation for being suspicious of his subordinates and being swift and ruthless with his punishments. So Pilate had to pay attention to this. And there's more irony here because neither, neither Pilate nor Jesus was a political threat to Caesar, but these Jews were. In fact, it would only be a few decades after these events when the Jews would mount an uprising against Rome. And Jerusalem would be leveled to the ground. The temple would be burnt to the ground. But it was these Jews who were going to revolt. And here they're trying to paint Pilate as, as unloyal. They're trying to paint Jesus as a threat to Rome. When in fact, all along, it was really them. 
And finally, in verse 15, after Pilate asks, shall I crucify your king? The Jews replied, we have no king but Caesar. This is, this is so shocking. Don't miss this. The Jews hated Caesar. They hated Caesar with a passion. They despised Rome for occupying their land. But here we see them willing to vocalize this lie. It must have pained them to have those words come off their lips. But here we see them willing to vocalize this lie if that's what it would take to kill Jesus. If this is what it takes to kill Jesus, we'll lie. We'll, we'll even say things that, that make our stomachs churn. And this shows us that these Jews hated Jesus even more than Caesar. But why? It's because Jesus threatened their reign, their reign as their own true king. Their true king was themselves. You see, in John 8, verse 32, Jesus told the Jews, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And they took offense to this, and they replied, we have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say we will become free? Now this is closer to the truth. Caesar was not their king, but neither was God. And certainly not Jesus. And now this is how it is with all humanity. Anytime someone threatens your reign to self-rule, we declare war. You see this in our world today when people fear losing their right to kill their unborn baby. You see angry mobs protesting outside courthouses and threatening the lives of Supreme Court justices. Or when Jesus threatens your right to sleep with whoever you want, war is declared and the idea of God in people's minds is, is killed to justify their behavior and to continue their self-reign over their hearts. But those examples are too easy for you nice church people. I'm mostly preaching to the choir here, I think, but think back to these Jews on the warpath demanding the crucifixion of the Son of God. These were nice religious people. You see, what they treasured most was their religious system and the control that it gave them over the people, a control that was based on guilt and fear. And this is uh, what Jesus, uh, this is the threat that Jesus was to these religious leaders because Jesus comes on the scene offering freedom from guilt and fear the very tools these religious leaders relied upon to control the people. Jesus saying, no, freedom. Jesus taught that religion wasn't the answer and that what people really needed was the free gift of God's grace. You see, sin has caused the human heart to become so ugly and deformed that none of us loves the way we're made to. And so what religion does is religion comes in and says, I'll fix you. I'll fix you by by coming and building a shed over your heart and painting it up real nice and pretty. You see, this is what religion does. It, it It only succeeds in changing your outward appearance, not your heart. 
So Jesus has essentially come and, and taking, taken a wrecking ball to the shed of these religious leaders that they have built and have, have exposed their deformed hearts. You see, your, your deepest need is not for your morals to change or for your behavior to be modified, to look nice on the outside. This is how so many people see your religion. But it's, it's about church attendance and charitable giving and strict moralism. And, and, and only, uh, it only succeeds in putting on a fresh coat of paint. It dresses up the outsides when the real problem is that we need new hearts. And it's new hearts that Jesus offers by grace through faith in him. Only Jesus can change a person from the inside out. That is something religion is incapable of doing. This is why the, the Jewish leaders here hate Jesus so much. And it's their cries of crucify him, crucify him, that convince Pilate to deliver Jesus over to be crucified. And if we're honest, this was our cry too when we lived apart from Christ. And it's the cry of every person today who remains committed to their own sovereign self-rule. So that's the corrupt religious leaders. Now let's consider the trapped leader here in our text. Pilate is a fascinating character, obsessed with success and power. He rose through the Roman military and political ranks, doing whatever it takes. This included a marriage of convenience when he married Claudia, the disgraceful daughter of a deplorable woman named Julia, who was the daughter of Emperor Augustus. But it was Pilate's marriage to Claudia that gave him the connections that he needed with the highest levels of the Roman government. And now in power, as the Roman governor of Judea, he would do anything to keep it. Now Pilate is already seen through the Jews' attempt to paint Jesus as a political threat. He knows that Jesus is not. We saw this last week's sermon. And three times now in John's gospel, Pilate declares that he finds no guilt in Jesus. Nothing deserving of death. But these Jews were stubborn. So Pilate intended to have Jesus flogged and then release him, thinking that would satisfy the Jews. We see this especially made clear in Luke's gospel. So what's going on here is that Pilate is trying to gain sympathy for Jesus by bringing him out in this sickening theater, all bloodied from the flogging and wearing a crown of thorns and a purple robe, just being mocked, to which Pilate utters his famous words, Behold the man. We know from classical Greek literature that this phrase, behold the man, was really a way of saying, look at this poor man. Look at this poor creature. Pilate's trying to say, look at this pathetic man. Hasn't he suffered enough? Won't you have pity on him at least? Does he really need to be crucified? Look at him. Behold the man. This is the scene that Isaiah had in mind when he described the Messiah in Isaiah 52. 
as many were astonished at you. His appearance was so marred beyond human semblance that his form, in his form beyond that of the children of mankind. But still the Jews cry out, crucify him, crucify him. Now when Pilate learns in verse 7 that Jesus claimed to be the son of God, this frightened him. And this is primarily because uh, Pilate is operating in a different worldview. Uh, the Greco-Roman worldview that Pilate had was, uh, was uh, extremely superstitious. And they did have a category in their worldview and in their thinking for uh, divine God-men, gifted individuals with divine powers. And, and Pilate is, is fearful now because he possibly just had one of these God-men flogged. Right? So he's thinking, oh, I'm going to get it. But in the Jewish mind, it's totally different. They see Jesus, uh, his claim to being a God-man. They think it's blasphemous, right? It doesn't, uh, it doesn't scare them, right? It angers them that Jesus would claim to be a God-man. But it terrifies Pilate because they have this category for that kind of thinking, So Pilate has this sidebar with Jesus in verses 9 to 11 where he asks Jesus where he's from. He proceeds to explain to Jesus that he has the authority to set him free. And the irony here in this scene is is that there's really only one free man in this room and it's not Pilate. It's Jesus standing there bound and bloodied. Are you beginning to see now how Pilate is feeling more and more trapped? He knows Jesus is innocent and is fearful of him now. But if he loses the favor of the Jewish crowds, it could be the end for him. He's really caught in a tough spot. As much as he's talking about authority for him to release or to crucify Jesus, Pilate Pilate is getting trapped. He's getting pushed into a corner here. Now, after being accused of not being a friend of Caesar, Pilate sits down on his judgment seat in verse 13. This this was likely an act of intimidation. Still trying to coerce the Jews to see things his way. And he says to the Jews in verse 14, Behold your king. And Pilate's partly mocking the Jews here, as if to say, Look, Look what I did to your king. This person you say is claiming to be a king. But Pilate is also trying, again, to gain sympathy for Jesus by portraying him as weak and feeble. This man is a threat to nobody. But still, the Jews persist and demand for Jesus to be crucified. So Pilate, seeing no way to do what is right, and still hold on to his power, delivers Jesus over to be crucified in verse 16. And in this act of condemning Jesus to death, Pilate's soul is condemned, proving Paul's words to the Philippian church to be true here. He says in Philippians 3.19, their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they, they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Now, it's worth pausing here to reflect on Pilate's motives for killing Jesus. On some level, Pilate sympathized with Jesus. He was no threat to Rome, had done nothing deserving death. All in all, pretty nice guy as far as Pilate's concerned. 
And on another level, he's probably irrelevant to Pilate. You know, this is a Jewish issue. Why am I getting involved? He tried to do Jesus a favor, but in the end, Pilate was too much of a slave to his own success. And it became clear that Jesus was just too inconvenient to Pilate's future. He delivers him over to be crucified. How might this motive be present in our own lives today? Maybe Jesus is a threat to your career. This could happen. We've seen this happen with Jack Phillips' cake shop in Colorado uh, being shut down when, because of his faith in Jesus, he refused to celebrate a same-sex marriage by making a custom wedding cake. Maybe it's safer in your workplace to say, stay silent about your faith, but at what cost? Wouldn't you just be delivering Jesus over in this area of your life just as Pilate did when Jesus became inconvenient to his goals, to his God? Or teens, maybe your popularity is at stake at school. If your peers knew about your relationship with Jesus, would you get knocked down a few uh, pegs on the, on the popularity scale at school? Would your friends still want to be your friends? Pray that God would guard your heart from ever seeing Jesus as an inconvenience or as a liability to your own popularity, to your own success. Instead, having our minds set on earthly things, which leads to destruction, we would all do well to remember Paul's words to the Colossian church when he says, to set your mind on things that are above, not on earthly things or things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you, will also, uh, you also will appear with him in glory. Set your mind on heavenly things, not on earthly things. Avoid the error that Pilate uh, made here. Now on to our final point. So we've considered the corrupt leaders. Uh, we've considered the trapped ruler. <clears throat> and now let's look at the sovereign king. In 1906, Albert Schweitzer wrote a book called The Quest for the Historical Jesus. And I remember this book because uh, as a part of my Bible degree, I had to read it and critique it. In it, uh, he writes this of Jesus. There is silence all around. The Baptist appears and cries, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Soon after that comes Jesus. And in the knowledge that he is the coming Son of Man, lays hold of the wheel of the world to set it moving on the last revolution, which is to bring all ordinary history to a close. It refuses to turn. He throws himself upon it. Then it does turn and crushes him. The wheel rolls onward. And the mangled body of the immeasurably great man, who was strong enough to think of himself as the spiritual rule of mankind and bend history to his purpose, is hanging upon it still. You see, Schweitzer saw Jesus as a tragic victim. 
Someone who tried to be truly great, and in the end, he was just crushed by it. But Jesus didn't go to the cross that we would pity him. He came to be our savior. We feel sorry for victims. We don't put our faith in them to save us. So Jesus will not allow us to see him as a helpless victim here. In verse 10, Jesus appears in every way to be a victim. Pilate felt sorry for him, tried to help. He explains to Jesus that he has the authority to release him, but Jesus instead teaches Pilate that his authority is given to him by someone even greater than Caesar. Pilate thinks he's in control. Jesus is the only one there in control. Jesus is in complete control of the situation. And we can see this in our text from last week as well. I already mentioned this earlier, but in John 831, the Jews uh, were insisting that the Romans condemn uh, Jesus to death because it was not lawful for them to do it. They were pursuing a Roman execution to, to, to shame and disgrace Jesus as a cursed man. But, but then John writes this in verse 32. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. Isn't this amazing? I mean, here we've already seen in our text the religious leaders scheming and plotting, trying to get Jesus crucified. They didn't didn't want to settle for stoning. They wanted crucifixion to shame and disgrace Jesus. And all along, it was part of Jesus' plan, even the type of execution that he would face. Jesus already had this planned. And here you see the religious leaders scurrying and plotting and scheming to try to get this outcome, but it was Jesus' plan all along. This shows just how in control Jesus is, that he would, he would even be in control of, of, of the type of death he would die. But Jesus was also in control of the timing of his death. Take a look at this subtle detail in verse 14. John tells us here that this, is, this was the day of preparation of the Passover and that this was the sixth hour. Okay? So what this means is, and just marvel with this uh, with me, how in control Jesus is that, that he would have timed these own events with his own death. That it's the day of preparation for the Passover and that it's the sixth hour. The sixth hour of the Passover preparation was the precise time when the priests would be sacrificing the Passover lambs in the temple. And here John just slides this little detail in to the narrative, but it's significant. Recall how at the very beginning of John's gospel, John the Baptist declared this about Jesus. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Pilate has already said, behold the man and behold your king. And here John wants us to remind us just what kind of king Jesus is. Behold the true Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Now look back at Pilate's derogatory declaration of of Jesus at the end of verse 5. Behold the man, this pitiful creature. Here, he's speaking better than he knows. 
We've seen this uh, time and time again throughout John's gospel where people who are opposed or, or indifferent to Jesus speak better than they know of him. For the call of Christianity is nothing less than to come and know how much God loves you by coming to behold the man. Come and behold the man. This is the invitation of Christianity. Come and see him bloodied by the crown of thorns upon his head. Thorns that were consequences of the curse announced in Genesis 3. That curse was now laid on him that we might be forgiven and freed. Come behold the man. This is how we know that God loves us. See the man standing before you with the crown of thorns, bloodied and beaten. Come behold the man. This is how we know that God loves us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And while both Pilate and the Jewish leaders both played roles in killing Jesus, so did we. Just like the religious leaders in our sin, we have rejected Jesus as our king. And just like, just like uh, Jesus was inconvenient to Pilate's success, we have all delivered him up as Pilate did. But while our sins nailed him to that cross, he planned it in love. Let me ask you this morning, do you know how much God loves you? Take up the invitation to behold the man. Behold your king. Behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin the world. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful this morning for Jesus. We're thankful every day, especially in this moment as we've just beheld the man, as we've seen how in control of these circumstances you really are, and to know that you chose this, you planned it to demonstrate your love for us. God, I pray that should there be any here this morning who, who is not convinced of your love for them, that the gospel would penetrate their stony hearts. That you would open up them, open up their eyes to see the beauty of Jesus, the man, the king, the lamb. And Father, remind us who've been walking with Jesus for, for some time, remind us just how much we need Jesus still. We thank you that as we look to the future, we do so with hope, knowing that you will return and make all things new because of Jesus and everything that he did to secure our salvation. We pray these things in his powerful and wonderful name. Amen. Pastor Mike, that was powerful.